You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good afternoon. Well, the title for my message today is Faith for the Extraordinary. Do you want to turn to your neighbor and ask them, have you got faith for the extraordinary? And with the neighbor that you missed, maybe ask them, do you even know what extraordinary means? Well, I'm glad you asked because I know what extraordinary means. Uh, I'm going to let you know the dictionary definition of extraordinary is remarkable or unusual outside the normal course of events. And there are many people in the world that have done extraordinary things that are outside uh, the normal course of events. I went on YouTube uh, and I typed in people doing extraordinary things uh, just because I wanted to see like what might come up. Uh, and a lot of the things that came up were people doing like tricks and stunts. There were people using basketball to do some like crazy things. There were people jumping from cliffs. Uh, there was this one weird one of like a granddad and he had a walker, but he was on a trampoline and like flipping his walker everywhere. I thought that one was more unusual than remarkable, but you know, either way, those are some pretty impressive things. But you know, when it comes to the um, extraordinary and the remarkable, no one quite shines like Jesus in the realm of the remarkable. Jesus is the undefeated champion of the extraordinary. He was always armed with extraordinary things. Like we read in the Bible uh, of some of the miracles that he did. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He fed the 5,000. He rose back to life, bringing salvation to all men who would accept it. That's insane. But more remarkable than this is that Jesus enables his followers to do the same thing. In Matthew 10, 8, uh, it talks about Jesus sending out the disciples, uh, and he sent them out to preach the good news. Uh, and as he sent them out, he told them also to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And they did do these things, not by human power, not because there was anything special about them or because they'd gone through some 12-week course on how to cast out demons, but because they had assurance and confidence in the power of Jesus. And as I preach this message to you, I'm really preaching to myself because praise God for my salvation, probably the biggest, if not it is, the greatest miracle that has ever happened in my life. Jesus brought me from death to life. But I know that my salvation is not the end, but it's just the beginning. The Bible says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. And that challenges me because it tells me that the extraordinary isn't just for those that would desire uh, and uh, long for it. It's supposed to be a desire for all of us to believe in. But I just love always going back to Acts 4.13 because uh, it talks about Peter and John and they just healed the blind man uh, at the gate beautiful uh, and then they're brought in by the council and they're, they're being asked lots of questions about by what power do you do this in? And I love Acts 4.13 because it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men have been with Jesus. I might be ordinary, you might be ordinary, 
and the challenge and the call to walk in faith for the extraordinary might be daunting and a scary fate. But actually, when we are with Jesus, some miracles can happen. When we are with Jesus, we can see some amazing things happen. And so today we're going to be looking uh, at one of the miracles of Jesus. It's Jesus walking on water. And we're going to be looking at this one specifically uh, because not only did Jesus walk on water, but he enabled his disciple Peter to also walk on water. So if we could all turn to Matthew 14, 22 to 33, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And as you turn there, let me make a point of saying uh, that my aim for this uh, sermon is not by the end of it, we'd all find ourselves uh, at Coventry Canal being the next person to step on water. Because, yes, that's great faith. But there's something about faith that needs to also align uh, with the will of God. But my heart is that I would uh, stir something in you, a faith to arise for the impossible and in the unexpected places. So Matthew 14, 22 to 33 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered um, him saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Now this account uh, of Jesus walking on the water comes right after the miracle of the feeding, the 5,000. And as they are, um, you know, you'd be tempted to, to stick around and just marvel at the miracle that just happened. But actually, Jesus is ready to move on because there is still more to be done in the kingdom of God. And so he sends his disciples ahead of him while he goes on to pray. And it talks a little bit about some of the conditions the disciples had been in. They set out around evening time. But we're told that when we come to this moment, uh, it's the fourth watch of the night, which is around 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's dark. And then they've made some kind of progress. It says that they've been struggling against the winds and the waves for some hours. Uh, in another account in Mark 6, it says they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. But Jesus uh, makes me smile because he's what we call in our modern day uh, lingo like extra. He's just so extra. He's doing the absolute most. Because here are the disciples, a long way from land, struggling in the wind and current, in the dark, likely to be tired and frustrated. Yet here comes Jesus walking on water. This is how I imagine Jesus walks. He's walking on water. 
And, you know, Jesus kind of reminds me uh, of those kids in school. You know, like when you come out of an exam and everybody, including you, is talking about how, like, oh, that exam was really hard. I think I failed. And then there's that one annoying kid who's just like, mm, I don't know, I find it kind of easy. And you're just thinking, oh, come on, just stop it. But I love it that Jesus won't compromise his own ability and power at the altar of our own understanding. Because he likes to remind us that while he is fully man, he is also fully God. You know, our own understanding would say, Jesus, why don't you just wait till morning and maybe get your own boat or hitch a ride with some other people that might be going to the other side. But it's just a humbling reminder that his ways are not our ways. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His understanding, his ways, his divine power suggests that the impossible and the supernatural is just as normal to him as our normal. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. These disciples and Jesus are heading in the same direction, in the same waters, in the same darkness. But they're actually traveling in a different way because there is a different power at work here. And as the disciples are rowing, uh, it says in verse 26 that they notice Jesus. But they don't know it's Jesus, so they are terrified and cry out in fear, it's a ghost. And fear is described as a feeling that comes from perceived danger or threat. They perceive a ghost. Yet sometimes, how many of us know that what causes us a fear is not necessarily harmful? In fact, on the opposite side, it might be good. It might be just what we need. But because it's unfamiliar to us, because it doesn't really make sense in our natural human brain, we just try to rationalize it and make sense of it with our own understanding. And sometimes that's what can cause us fear. But we know that our perception or our understanding might be wrong. Our perception is false. And that's what uh, fear can sometimes be. It's false thinking. And what does false thinking or false things need? They need the truth to counteract it. We might call the truth uh, like a renewing of the mind. The process of going from false to truth is a renewing of the mind. And that's my first point for today is that those who would have faith for the extraordinary, it requires a renewing of the mind. You know, what concerns Jesus is not that we are afraid. He kind of expects us to be afraid. But if you are afraid, what he wants is to ask you is, are you willing to take courage? Are you willing to take hold of truth? Because truth is the only firm ground for our faith to stand on. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, some of us might have walked in here today with some fear. And fear is more likely to arise, like with the disciples, when we are in darkness, uh, when we are tired, when the winds and waves of life are surrounding us. 
because those things can actually blur uh, our understanding of truth. Yet in the moment of fear and terror, Jesus steps in with the truth. He says, take heart or take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Afraid. It still stands that in our midst, in the midst of our fear, what we need is the voice of truth, the word of truth, and the presence of truth, which is Jesus Christ. Now, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Maybe that's why the disciples thought it was a ghost, because they, they weren't aligned with God's ways. They weren't expecting him to be walking on water. But Romans 12, 2 tells us that a renewed mind not only transforms us, but it helps us align more with the will of God. It helps us to discern the will of God, what God could do in any given moment. We find that the truth can be found in the word of God. It can be found in getting within other believers who will speak truth to us and tell us of the extraordinary things that they've seen God do. Now, I remember when I was younger, uh, I just held on to some false thinking and some uh, false things that I needed to let go. Uh, I really struggled with comparison, and many of you might relate with that. But I struggled with comparison because I would look at other people, and I would see, oh, my days, these people are remarkable. Look at all these things that they're doing. They're amazing. They've got so many gifts and talents. And the more I looked at them, the bigger they got and the smaller I got. And as I got smaller, uh, fear and insecurity and timidity surrounded me. How could I expect to do the extraordinary if I couldn't even just accept my ordinariness? But in that moment, it was like I just needed to hear the truth. I knew that I couldn't keep going around in circles in the false thinking that I had because I was only getting smaller and I was only feeling more defeated. And so I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, I need you to help me because I want to be free from this. And as I went before the Lord, he just started to bring truth after truth after truth. He was saying, Tracy, you might feel small, but look at me. I am enough for you. You might not feel like you are enough, but I am enough for you. You might feel like all those other people are gifted and talented, but look, I made you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know the plans that I have for you and the way that I designed you to be. He told me, Tracy, you're looking at those people uh, and you're like comparing them and you're feeling maybe jealous and all these different things, but actually you're supposed to celebrate them because those people are gifted only because I gave them what they have. Tracy, you're looking at those people uh, and you're seeing that they're gifted and talented, but how do you know that, do you not know that even those people have their own brokenness and their own things that they're struggling with? And as I came into a place of understanding truth and actually embracing truth, because it's one thing to hear the truth, but it's another thing to actually take hold of it. And as I took hold of it, I found freedom. Because the Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I was set free by the truth. And as I was set free, I was able to walk more powerfully in the things that God had me. And I had the confidence that even when I didn't feel like I was enough, Jesus was always going to be enough. You know, if we're going to be a people that have faith for the extraordinary, we might first need a revelation of the truth. We need a revelation of Jesus. And maybe the revelation of Jesus that you need today is that I'm feeling lots of shame 
and guilt, but we talked about boldly approaching the throne room of grace. God has grace for you, for there is no condemnation in him. I'm feeling weak and inadequate, but Jesus says that my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm lacking here, but Jesus is my sufficiency, and not only that, he's my provider. I'm sick, but Jesus is my healer. I'm terrified and afraid. Take heart, it is I. I love that Jesus didn't say, take heart, it's me, Jesus, Lord and Savior, Messiah of the world. No, he said, take heart, it is I. Because the longer we are in this journey as Christians, the, the easier it should be to recognize truth when we hear it and when we see it. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, I know them, they follow me. Perhaps while the disciples might have been pr uh, frozen in fear, Peter had perceived something of the presence of Jesus. And from Peter walking daily with God, he might have come to a point where he realized, actually, when the presence of Jesus is here, when Jesus is present, some miraculous things can happen. Some extraordinary things can happen. Because a renewed mind doesn't come expecting the same thing. It comes expecting something different. And so for Peter, maybe faith and expectation arose. And he was like, I want to see Jesus do something here as well. And a mind renewed by truth might get us from fear to faith. But faith must move us into action. And so my second point for today is, if we are going to be a people of faith for the extraordinary... We need to turn faith into action. The Bible says in James 1.7, So too, faith by itself, if not complemented by action, is dead. You can convince me all you want that you trust that when you sit on that chair, it's going to hold you up. But if you refuse to actually sit down, I don't know whether you really have the faith for it. But Peter, he gets into action. And his first action is to ask. We know it's an action because none of the other disciples did it. But he acted. And he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter might have been so desperate to see Jesus be revealed that he actually came to a point of saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't want to just see you being revealed to me, you walking on the water. I want to see you revealed through me. And maybe we might get to that point as well where we say, Jesus, I don't want to just watch what you're doing in other people's lives. I don't want to just watch what you're doing in other people's circumstances, but I want to see you do something through me. He had faith that God can use him to do the extraordinary. And so he dared to ask. I want to ask you today, do you dare to ask? I love that he didn't say, oh, if the water is calm, Jesus, if you believe that I can do it, oh, Lord, if, if, I, if, if you think like the physics of what you're doing is also applicable to me. No, he said, no. If it's you, command me to come. And I wonder maybe some of us might be carrying some ifs in our lives. Lord Jesus, I want to come, but if no one will reject me, if my finances are saying that I can come, if my grades are saying that I'm good enough, instead, Peter based his faith on nothing else but Jesus. Nothing else but Jesus. Lord, if it's you, 
command me to come to you on the water. You know, in this moment, I would be curious to know what might have been going on uh, in the disciples' minds. They might have thought, oh, come on, Peter. Like, we have been struggling and rowing against this, these waves for the last, I don't know, how many hours. We've got Matthew over here, the tax collector. We know he's definitely not used to pulling his own weight. The last miracle we need is really you walking on water. What we need is for Jesus to help us get on the other side by calming these waves and winds. And they might have been in their right mind to ask that because we know in Matthew 8 that a similar uh, miracle had happened. In Matthew 8, Jesus and the disciples are in some boats uh, and there is uh, a mighty storm that is there. Uh, and the disciples are like struggling against the wind and the storm and water's coming into the boat. But Jesus, surprise, surprise, is sleeping. And as they are terrified and full of fear, they wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, Save us, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up and he rebukes them and says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And in that moment, he commands the seas and the storms to stop, and they do stop. And so they would have been in their right mind to believe that Jesus could do something here. Maybe they could have thought, you know what, like, my faith has failed me before, but I'm ready to go again. Even if I'm not ready to step out of the boat, I'm ready to see Jesus do something different or something the same again. But because they don't speak, we will never know whether they had faith. Or as James would tell us, because they don't speak, because they don't move into action, they don't have faith. But Jesus commands Peter, saying, come. And I want to get to the good bit, but I wonder if for some of us, we might be a bit like Peter. In this moment when Jesus would say, come, we'd be like, oh, wait, like come to you on this water? Like right now? You want me to walk on this water to come to you? The miracle of miracles that I, I can't do? And I think, you know, I've, we can sometimes find ourselves in those situations where we say, uh, we make bold prayers and bold statements to God and we say, Lord, if it's your will, I will do whatever you want. I'm your vessel. Use me as you want. And then he makes it happen. And then he calls us to come. And suddenly, we're not quite sure we're ready for this. You know, it's easy to ask God of lots of different things when you're in the boat. Because the boat represents a place of safety and security when you're just an onlooker but what about when God asks you to come I remember when uh, I was in university university was a really searching time for me like most people of trying to figure out my identity and trying to figure out my purpose and I came in thinking maybe I'd go on to do medicine but as I went on ahead it's like those those kind of desires and dreams started to die down and there was a period in my life where I, like anthems of surrender like songs of surrender where everything I was singing I was singing William McDowell I surrender all to you withholding nothing everything my life is not my all to you I belong I was surrendering everything but then there came a point that as I surrendered and I was saying Lord if it's you command me to come he actually asked me to come because in third year I got to around uh, October time when our term started and I sensed the Lord saying, don't apply for anything. Don't apply for any grad schemes. So here are my friends applying for internships and grad schemes and all these different things. 
And God said, don't apply for anything, just focus on your degree. And so I didn't even work on my CV, I didn't do any of that. And then it came to around January time, and I also felt the Lord uh, give me a sense of calling to CLM. And I was so confused because I was like, well, Pastor Martin and Esther, they know me, but they don't know me, know me. So even if they were going to uh, offer me something, surely there must be something here that would qualify me. And I, I went on with this thing that I'd held, and I just journaled it, and I never told anybody. And I carried on. Six months went by. I did my exams. I did all these different things. And then... It was kind of like the last week or so of me being in university. Like I was ready to go wherever the Lord would let me go. But I thought I had heard the voice of God to say, you're going to be at CLM. And then, yeah, in the last two weeks, through a series of events, somehow Pastor Martin and Esther ended up hearing about my name. And I received a phone call from Pastor Martin saying, Tracy, uh, we don't really know what your plans are for next year, but would you be um, willing to come in and just talk about the possibility of doing an internship? Bear in mind at the time in CLM, there was no such thing as an internship. There was no such uh, thing as uh, people being recruited to just come in and work. And we sat down and we talked and like, even as I came out of that interview or that conversation, I was just like, no, I, I didn't communicate my heart whatsoever. And then two days later, Pastor Martin called me again, and he says, Tracy, we would love to have you on the internship, this voluntary internship, if you are willing to have it. And you know, in that journey from October and even um, before, I had to learn to step out of the boat of the safety of applications and the safety of what my friends are doing and the safety of what my parents' plans might be. I had to step out of the boat of the fact that maybe I might be wrong. I might have heard God wrong. But I found that in that moment, Jesus had spoken something. He had said, come. And when I stepped out, he met me there. You know, some of us may have prayed bold prayers to God. But when God commands us to come or to go, we have to be ready to move into action. And I want to ask you today, what's the boat that you need to get out of to walk in faith? Is it the plans that you have that, you know what, actually, like, I didn't plan on walking on water today. I just wanted to get to the other side. Is it the boat of previous disappointments that have left you maybe a little bit hurt that I don't really want to step out again? Is it your comfort zone, what seems to bring the least problems and the least challenges you know, what we can learn uh, from this account is that the boat might get you to the other side, but you'll never walk on water when you could have done. Just leaving room for possibility that I could walk on water is all it takes. The boat might get you, number two, to the other side, but you'll still struggle against the wind. We don't want to step out in faith, but life is hard still regardless. It's still a struggle in the boat. The boat might be where everyone else is, but that doesn't mean that's where you need to be. But what happens when Jesus says, come? In verse 29, I love the simplicity of this, although behind it there was probably a challenge. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Peter walked on water. 
Peter walked on water, the miracle that had only ever been done by Jesus, and maybe others would have thought impossible, Peter did it. And as we step out of this boat, we find out that there is actually more for us. I stepped out of the boat of maybe my own plans and and the security of applications and all that kind of stuff. And I stepped out of the boat of accepting to do a, a voluntary internship for a year. But on the other side of the voluntary internship, I found so much more. I found God helping me to impact other people's lives. I found myself growing exponentially in ways that I didn't think that I could grow. I found myself realizing my calling. I found myself with a paying job, amen, hallelujah. Come on now, won't he do it? (laughs) And as we step out of the boat, we find there is so much more out there for us. I stepped out of the boat not because I hadn't counted the cost. In every way, I'd probably counted the cost. I, I thought that maybe I might sink. But I thought, you know what? I'm more willing to go out on the command and call of Jesus because I find it more worthwhile than maybe sticking here and never finding out what he might have had for me. We step out of the boat of timidity and comfort to share our faith and we find other people's lives are impacted by the gospel. We find salvations for lives. The dead are raised to life. We step out of the boat of our own plans and we find that God has so much more exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or imagine. We step out of the boat and we find the extraordinary. And as we step out of the boat and we get into action, we find that Jesus is there too. And it's important that Jesus is there too because my third point is that faith for the extraordinary won't come without challenges. You know, many of us have set out on this journey uh, of faith. We're hoping to see God do some incredible things for us. But in the moment, there can be uh, moments of overwhelmingness. When we look around at our circumstances and the things going on and we are gripped with fear and we're terrified when doubt overcomes us. But I want to assure you that it's such a pattern of people in the Bible We see so many people like David, he had stepped out and he was going to be king. And God did some mighty things through him. He's called the man after God's own heart. But he had his own challenges and his own enemies. You see, Abraham, he stepped out in faith. But in moments of doubt, actually, sometimes he decided to do his own thing because he he felt like maybe God isn't coming through. Faith for the extraordinary won't come without challenges. But you know what, what it teaches us is that just because it won't come without challenges, that's not the qualifying reason as to why we shouldn't step out in faith. Three lessons to learn from Peter's challenges is that he might have sank, but not before he walked on water. He might have sank, but not before he walked on water. This whole uh, scenario flips my whole um, understanding of what failure can look like or what failure means. Because we're quick to talk about Peter and sinking and his lack of faith, and we might use him as an example for that. But if failure looks like walking on water, then let's have faith for the impossible. Let's have faith to say, I don't mind stepping out in faith even if I might fail. 
because failure might not be so bad. I love this quote used by, uh, often used by Brene Brown, who talks about vulnerability uh, and courage a lot, but it's by Theodore Roosevelt. It says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who knows at the best, in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails, daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. If we can taste a little bit of victory as we step out in faith, I think it's a worthwhile step to take. Number two, a lesson that we learn from Peter's challenges is that Peter might have sank, but it's only because he doubted. In his challenges, Peter got to learn a once again the lesson that Jesus had always been teaching the disciples, that it's about faith. It's about faith. He says, why did you doubt? And I guess he asked him that because actually Peter stepped out when the wind was still there. Peter stepped out seeing Jesus already on the water. Peter stepped out and walked on water. So why would he doubt? It teaches us that Peter sank not because of the wind, not because Jesus isn't powerful, but because he doubted. The Bible describes doubt as being like um, a wave that's being tossed about in the sea by the winds and the, way and the, the wind. And so for us, it's not the storm out there. It's not the winds and the waves out there that are the problem. It's the winds and the waves that are in here that are the problem. Number three, we learn from Peter's challenges that he might have sank, but Jesus caught him. I love that Peter didn't scramble uh, for the boat. He wasn't trying to, like, swim. He called out in that moment, Lord, save me. In our moment of crisis, in our moment of doubt, what are we turning to? Who are we turning to? As he called out to Jesus, Jesus was there to catch him. And even between Jesus catching him and then probably getting back to the boat, it was probably all Jesus. You know, the doubt may have come, but Jesus was still at work. And that's what the grace of God does. It comes and it meets us in our moments of successes, but it also meets us in our moments of failure and shortcoming. You know, he promises to be with us, not just as a matter of fact of his presence, but as an assurance of his help. Psalm 46, 1 to 3 says, God is our refuge and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is our refuge and our strength even when we lack faith. Which brings me to my fourth and final point, that those with faith for the extraordinary must do it for the glory of God. 
You know, it's all about him. It's all about him. There are many people in this world that are desiring to do extraordinary things. But if we are going to be a people that do extraordinary things by the power of Jesus, we better make sure that the credit goes back to him. When Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, it doesn't say that the disciples were like, oh, wow, Peter, that was incredible. Did you see what you did there? The way you just stepped on the water and the water did this and it did that. And he, they don't talk anything about that. And maybe they did say that. But the Bible doesn't record it because the point here is that it's about Jesus. It says, those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Even if you have your Bibles, it says at the top that Jesus walks on water, not necessarily Peter. The Bible in Matthew 5:16 says, let your light shine before men. God wants you to shine. God wants you to do the extraordinary. But it also follows by saying that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Signs and wonders are supposed to point back to Jesus. Because as we step out in the extraordinary, we find that Jesus is revealed not only to us, but to those around us. Lamar, would you come and help? As we seek to step out in faith, let it be our final aim that Jesus and God would get the glory. Because not only that is that what he wants, it's what he deserves, it's what he is worthy of. In a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand. But before I do that, I want to ask you, uh, based on the points that I've shared today is, what are some of the fears? What are some of the false uh, thinking patterns that you might be carrying in your mind? What are the things or the places that need to be renewed by truth? Because actually, like before I'm even going to step up for the extraordinary, I need my mind to be renewed to the point where I even think that the extraordinary is possible. What are the things that you have in your life today that maybe Jesus has called you to come, but you actually need the faith to step out in action? Because we can carry all the faith in the world. We can believe for all the things that God would do. But if we don't want to step into action, what of it? And so I'm going to ask us to stand. And as I ask us to stand, we're going to go into a song in a moment called God of Miracles. And I believe that there is something powerful uh, about us having an expression of the action that we're going to take. That as we sing this song, some of you would come out because actually I'm ready to step out in faith. And this is the first thing that I'm going to do to show that. I'm believing for something. I'm believing, I don't even know sometimes what I'm believing for, but I'm believing that God would do something through me. Maybe for some of you, it might just be that you've got some difficult circumstances that you need God to come through in. And as, that, as we sing this song, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come out and declare this song as your song, that you are the God of miracles. We need your supernatural love. We need him to work supernaturally because we serve an extraordinary God who enables us to do extraordinary things. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you that when you step into our circumstances, that when you are present, our fear can be gone, but also we can do extraordinary things. 
I thank you, Father God, that you call us to more, that you don't call us to be timid and afraid, but Father God, you call us to expect the extraordinary. And so, Father God, I pray for those that would uh, step out today. I pray, would you meet them? Would you enable them to do the things that they desire to see you do in their lives? I pray that as you would call us out and, and say, come, that we would come out in obedient faith. Lord, would you give us courage for this journey? In Jesus' name.